And once again, I was just like, wait a second, I own 55 acres of land in Alabama for a million dollars, which is the same price as my single family home in California. So once again, it just kind of like, I didn't know this even existed, right? I've only been in California, that's all I knew. That one has roughly around like about 45-ish units there. In May of 2022, about a year ago, I bought a 20-unit apartment complex in Oklahoma, and I got that for 350K. And once again, <laughs> like, yeah. In the world? <laughs> You know, a lot of people say that, oh, I own 90 units, but they have partners. That's you true. own a small fraction of 90 That's units. True. I just own 90 units myself, 100%. So at the moment, what is your gross revenue versus your net profit on all of these properties? Oh, oh man, I calculated recently. I'm grossing about 600K a year. What is up guys, Jason here. Welcome back to the channel and our series, Nurses to Riches, The Road to Fire. In this episode, we're going to be speaking with a guest who is a pharmacy director who is making around $200,000 per year and in just eight months has been able to secure 80 rental units. His net worth is in the millions and he started all of this with around $250,000 in student loan debt. We're going to be speaking with him about his career, how he has been able to secure a total of 90 rental units because the 80 he secured have only been in the last eight months and how he manages those properties on his own as well as his personal finances. So with that said, let us know what your name is and why you decided to go into pharmacy. Hi everyone, my name is Steven Nguyen. You know, growing up in the Asian household, I'm first generation. My parents immigrate here from Vietnam. Like they want a stable job. Yeah. So basically, you know, they're either in engineering because they're typically good at math. Yeah. Um, I'm actually good at math, <laughs> but um, you know, they, they just want the stability of healthcare, right? Like. Yeah. You know, there's not as many layoffs, you know, you're more stable, your income's pretty flat and stagnant, which is slightly discouraging during this time, especially when gas was like six bucks and, you know, inflation's going crazy, eggs are expensive, yeah. you know, all that stuff, but it's very stable, I would say. So for me, I just thought medical school is too long. I'll be honest. It's very simple. And my sister was able to complete this five-year pharmacy program at a high school. So it's two years undergrad, three years farm school, and you graduate at 23 with a PharmD as a pharmacist making six figures. So at the time, when you're 18, you think making six figures is a lot of money. So that's actually in a weird way why I kind of was interested in pharmacy. You know, I was pretty well-rounded, to be honest. I could have done any profession I wanted. You know, I got into an engineering school. I got into pre-med, pre-farm. Uh, I actually got rejected from nursing, though. So, <laughs> um, but I was just very well-rounded. I just thought, you know what? Five years, you make six figures. I like helping people. I like being able to coach people. And pharmacists are very, you know, detail-oriented, very uh, people-facing. So I just thought this kind of naturally fits with my natural skill set. I know it's not that grand of a story, but that's what kind of led me to it. And after that, I went into pharmacy. Wait, what school did you go to? I went to University of Pacific in Stockton. So oh. they actually have a five-year six year, seven year pre-farm program. So basically at a high school, so you start when you're 18, usually the top high school students will be in the five year program, which is a two years undergrad and then three years of pharmacy school and there's no summer break. So oh, you man. basically go straight wow. and it's really hard. Like you really have to come in, hit a certain GPA, pass all your classes and you enter pharmacy school at around 20 years old. So I graduated at 23, which is oh. really young, right? Yeah. For a pharmacist, most pharmacists finish at maybe 27, 28. Yeah. So it's really accelerated, but if you can 
can go through the program, you save like three years of schooling, but also you're making three years of pharmacist salary sooner. So to me, I just thought it was a really good value. You know, Stockton's not the most desirable area to be in, I'll be honest, <laughs> but just the program and the speed of it was way worth it because just a bachelor's degree nowadays takes four to five years. So for someone like me who doesn't know anything about pharmacy, okay, in terms of degrees, I should say, you need a bachelor's degree and then what comes after the bachelor's degree? Yeah, so the route I went, I actually don't have an associate's degree. I don't have a bachelor's degree. I purely just spent the first two years doing all the prerequisites. So it's um, the same majors as like a pre-med, pre-dental. You're taking general bio, general chemistry, organic chemistry, microbiology, anatomy, some general education like calculus, physics, psychology, you know, the kind of typical yeah. education that you yeah. need to get into nursing school, to get into medical school, to get yeah. into dental school. And then from there, technically you don't need a bachelor's degree, but it's usually recommended to make you more competitive. I see. Like if you were to, let's say you weren't part of the uh, five-year UOP pre-farm program, you typically go to like UC Davis, UC Irvine, the UC schools, you'll finish your four-year degree in usually bio, typically biochem, something pre-health. And at that point, you're going to apply to get into pharmacy school. But with the pre-pharmacy program at UOP, it was guaranteed. So if you hit a certain GPA requirement, it was, yeah. I think, a 2.7 math science GPA and a 3.0 overall. You're guaranteed admission into the pharmacy program. That, that That's actually crazy. That's pretty program. <laughs> Exactly, right? So versus, you know, if you're transferring from like UC Davis, you're going to need a higher GPA to get yeah. in. So I just like the guaranteed fact. But the weeding out part is just getting into that pre-farm program is very competitive. Out of, I think, 50 people got into the five-year program, only 10 made it. Most dropped down to six years or yeah. seven years. That's 20%. <laughs> yeah. So I was part of the 20% that actually made it. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's hard. You're taking like 20 units, you know, a semester, yeah. a semester. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So you're, you're pounding it. And then it's a new environment, right? You're going from high school, going to college, a lot of temptation, a lot of distractions yeah. and a lot of stress. So a lot of people don't make it to be honest, you can get all C's and, and make it through and still That's become awesome. a pharmacist. But if you want to work in the hospital, mm -hmm. um, you're going to have to probably get the higher grades a little bit I too. See. So why is that? Your typical cookie cutter pharmacist, that people who aren't pharmacists, all we think we do is count pills behind a yeah. counter. You know, you're talking about CVS, Walgreens, you know, yeah. wearing that nice white coat and yeah. we're sitting there counting pills, putting a bottle, Here, here's your medication. So that's most pharmacists. But if you actually want to work in a hospital setting, so I've been a hospital pharmacist for about 10 years now, ever since I graduated, there's fewer jobs, right? Because there's more CVSs, there's more Walgreens compared to hospitals. And then within the hospital, you know, we have maybe depending on the size, you know, 10 to 80 pharmacists inside the hospital working 24 seven. And to even get one of those jobs, we actually have to do a residency. So actually just like doctors, we have to do a one to two year residency. So the first year residency, it's the same as doctors. You get paid about $50,000. It's, it's, you know, kind of the lower end pay. Yeah. You're basically there to learn. And then your goal is to look more competitive to get into a hospital program. So if you want to work for those big hospitals, you're talking like Stanford, UC Davis Medical Center, those big academic institutions, they typically will hire the residents that come to the program. And then you can actually do a second year residency if you want to specialize further. So if you want to be an ER pharmacist, if you want to be an ICU pharmacist, if you want to be an infectious 
disease pharmacist, an IT pharmacist, transplant pharmacist. You can actually do a second year residency to specialize in that. So there's very few PGY2 programs, but if you do it, you do look competitive, but I will kind of say that there's not many of those jobs, right? Because like, for example, a big hospital like Stanford might have like three ED pharmacists or ER pharmacists, but once they're there, they're not going to want to leave their job, right? Because you can't just leave and find another ED pharmacist job yeah. easily. Like um, nursing, you can go to any ED right now and ask yeah. for a job. They'll hire you in a heartbeat. Yes. There's such a shortage. But pharmacists, there's so many of us and so few jobs that it's very competitive, especially in California. I didn't know you guys had specialties like that because I knew it existed for nursing, but I didn't know it existed for pharmacists. So have you ever worked outside of a hospital setting? Yeah. When we do rotations in pharmacy school, they make us rotate through all settings. Uh -huh. So you get exposure. So on top of like at hospital, we have ambulatory care pharmacists. We're actually adjusting like your chronic disease states, like hypertension. We can adjust your blood pressure medications. If you have high cholesterol, we can adjust your uh, cholesterol medication. So like the statin medications are, yeah. are the common ones. We can adjust your insulin for diabetes care. Uh, we can adjust even your inhalers. Like I did an internship at a HIV clinic and I would see HIV patients one-on-one -on -one, and I could basically prescribe them almost anything I wanted under a practice agreement of the physician. Uh -huh. So I think what a lot of people don't realize is pharmacists actually were technically doctors. Yeah. So technically I'm Dr. Stephen Nguyen, but we usually don't really say our title because um, people say, well, you're not a real doctor, but we do go through a lot of education, a lot of training. We're basically the drug experts. And as you know, working in the hospital, like 99% of the hospital touches medication. There's a lot of roles in pharmacists that people don't know about. Like you can work for big pharma, you know, like Gilead, Genentech. Yes. Uh, you can work for insurance companies like Blue Shield, you know, Medi-Cal and doing formula review. So there's just a lot of opportunities out there. It's definitely not as much as nursing. There's a lot more nursing jobs out there. Yeah. I got laid off twice, actually, wow. working at hospitals mm. during COVID. So I kind of experienced, you know, the instability side a little bit. But, you know, overall, like, you know, I can always find a, hosp a pharmacist job anywhere. You know, it pays roughly around the same. And, you know, that's guaranteed money. Right. That yeah. in case other things I do fail, that's always my, you know, backup. Kind you know, of my... you basically read my mind because I was going to ask you, how did you guys manage during COVID? And you said you were laid off. Were they just trying to cut down on staff so they could save some money? Yeah. So you hit the nail on the head. Mm -hmm. So basically during COVID, what happened? A lot of people were too afraid to leave the house. Right. Mm -hmm. if, especially during lockdown in California. You know, I remember when we were first locked down, we actually locked down my birthday. Oh, man. <laughs> it was March 16th. Yeah. Uh, 2020. That's my birthday. And we happy shut birthday. down. <laughs> uh, happy birthday. Can't, can't go anywhere. So like literally we shut down and people were too afraid to go to the ED. Right. So people mm. were having heart attacks at home because yeah. they were too afraid to go. And then all those elective surgeries that are not urgent, they were canceling that. And most hospitals, that's how you make money. You make money through ER visits and you make money through those elective surgeries. That's the bread and butter. And when you cut that out, you know, they look at pharmacists like, oh, these guys are expensive, yeah. right? Like we're, yeah. we're not cheap. We don't do as much overtime compared to nursing. Mm -hmm. but we're just expensive overall as a base salary. So they we're usually the target for administration. And they just said, you know what? You have to lay off, you know, six staff. And, you know, fortunately I, I was one of the six that, that was let go. So it was eye-opening to me. I was like, I was told that this was stable. You know, I grew up in the Bay Area. Everyone's a software engineer. And those people, if you don't know, they make so much money. All right. Now I actually want to get into the money side of everything, right? Let's talk about your income as a pharmacist and the history of your income, because I want to know where you started and where you're at now. And then we'll talk about why you decided to dive into other forms of investments and not just focus on your W-2 job. So how much did you earn in your first job as a pharmacist? 
Yeah, so I graduated back in 2013 and I made about $120,000. Damn, a lot of money <laughs> and but i came out with two hundred fifty thousand dollars of student debt oh ouch <laughs> so if you kind of think about it like we do make good money starting but we do this we're in the hole right yeah. like two hundred fifty thousand dollars student debt so yeah. for me uh, my goal at the time you know i didn't know anything about real estate didn't really know much about investing minus the 401k but my job didn't even offer the 401k so basically <laughs> i just said okay well i just want to pay this off as fast as possible yeah. so that was literally my goal right so you know i still live like a college student i was 23 at the time still pretty young so i just said you know what i'm gonna live very humbly not increase my lifestyle and then save as much money as i can to pay off my student loans i had a high savings rate but also i was job hopping a lot so 2013 first job 120k i was there for about maybe a year and a half and then i went to another job in the bay area california and i was at a huge academic institution and then they paid me about 150k mm. so at that point i was making 150k and then while i was there like the union negotiated something and all of a sudden i got another 20k bump just good timing i just happened to be there they renegotiate the contract for the union and i bumped up to 20k so i was making around like 150 to 170 and then i just once again, you know, I saved more money, spent the same exact amount. I think I was spending about a thousand dollars a month was my expense. Wait, I was fortunate. Right, you, didn't have kids. you were single. You remind me of the story of one of these nurses. He was a travel nurse in one of my first episodes. And he's actually a moderator now. He goes by the name Poke on our Discord channel. But he was saving like twelve thousand dollars a month. And he's single, but he was saving that much. And last year I think he made like three hundred and fifty thousand plus because wow. he was putting in a lot of hours and his investment rate is insane he's saving like 70 80 percent of his income so i mean yeah i'm actually well saving around that much as well but yes the context i had was fortunately i had a place to live you know i just lived at my home that i grew up in so yeah. i was very fortunate to have that and Before i, I was like rent? i had no rent right because i was living at home yes <laughs> yeah so basically you know i was just living in the house i mean obviously you lose privacy a little bit right yeah. you're still living with your parents and at the time i was like 24 25 yeah. so i mean i, I was kind of used to it it's a yeah. little more common in Asian American culture, you kind of still live at home yeah. for a bit longer. And to me, I just said, well, this isn't going to be forever. So I might as well save this money instead of paying in the Bay Area. It's like 3000 rent yeah. for one bedroom. I'll take that 3000 and dump it on my student loans. Yeah. So I was spending $1,000 a month. You know, I had no kids, no obligations, maybe just a girlfriend, go out, eat, buy stuff here and there. But I was spending a thousand bucks, probably taking home 8000 ish. Yeah, yeah. So that's a $7,000 saving rate. And I was able to do that for a while. So mm -hmm. I think in 2017, near the end, that's when I paid off my student loans. So I paid off $250,000 of student debt in four years. That's insane, man. <laughs> How did you feel when you paid off that debt? Honestly, I, yeah. I kind of felt the same. Really? Um, it wasn't as glamorous as like Dave Ramsey makes it seem. Yeah. <laughs> but to me, it was just like the discipline of like mm. just living off a thousand dollars a month, saving the difference and dumping it into your debt. So yeah. Because like you said, the first four years, all I knew was pay off student debt, exactly. pay off student debt. Yeah. So once I removed that, I said, well, now what's next? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you know? I remember when Monica and I paid off all of our debt, we were paying close to $4,000 of debt each month at the height of it. And we were like, we can't keep doing this. So we paid it off in one year. And when we made that final payment, I'm like, damn, we have like an extra three to $4,000 per month now. We need to start investing this. And that's what we started doing. Now I'm working fewer hours at work because I want to invest more time and grow in our business. So, okay, so you were making about $170,000 a year when you moved to the academic hospital. And 
And how long did you stay there before you decided to move somewhere else? Yeah, so I kind of, I'm a notorious job hopper, unfortunately, but um, <laughs> I was probably there for about two years. Then I assumed my first uh, director of pharmacy position. At that point, you know, my salary jumped up to around 180, you know, was there for about another two years. And I jumped to another larger hospital where I was making around $210,000. Wow. Um, as a director of pharmacy, and that was back in 2019. And then since then, you know, I relocated over to Southern California. They pay less here, so I, I'm getting between 170 to 180k as a pharmacy director in Los Angeles area. So I took like a 40k pay cut, which was a, a huge pill to swallow. But just because it's cheaper here, relatively speaking, in Los Angeles versus the Bay Area, you know, housing a bit cheaper here. So they did cut my pay down. So you know, I've kind of been safely saying I'm hovering around 180k. How many hours a week were you working at these jobs? So when I was a regular pharmacist, it's hourly. It's just typical 40 hours a week, unless I picked up overtime. There's not as much overtime in pharmacy compared to nursing. We don't get you know time and a half double time that I see all the ER nurses doing like crazy. Yeah. If I had the opportunity, I'd probably be doing it. <laughs> that's the California thing. You should be getting the time and a half. Wait, unless, wait, how many hours a day are you working? So we do eight to 10 hour shifts, oh, um, but it's only an hour and a half. But I think we don't have double time. It's like very rare for us to have double time. Like what, what we typically do is we have a sick call. We just make all the current pharmacists just cover it about over time. Damn. So that's do, you have, I guess you have pharmacists available. Dude, like every day that I come to work, we are short staffed every day. And sometimes I'm like what we call a team lead, which is basically a nurse that's directing the flow of patients and assigning tasks to nurses. And when I'm in that role, I often find myself going to the what we call the doc box is the office where all of our doctors sit putting in the orders and like yeah. communicating with other departments. I go in there and I apologize often to them. And I say, listen, guys, this is the this is the deal. We're short staffed today we are trying our best but we probably won't be able to bring your patients in from the waiting room as quickly as you'd like us to because we don't have the staff to take care of these patients and they're like man we totally understand you guys you guys always do whatever you can and and we're not upset with you so do whatever you can and we'll take it from there that's okay yeah that that's kind of the same i mean there's not even at my hospitals I work at, there's always a nursing shortage. Every time I hear from the nursing leaders and directors and managers, pharmacists, we usually don't really call out sick for the most part. Really? Um, <laughs> and usually someone's willing to pick up the overtime because it is mm. rare. Yeah. So like usually we have no issues and you know, pharmacy, we don't have ratios like nursing, like, you know, nursing mm -hmm. is like five to one, I see it's one to one, but for pharmacy, it's kind of like whether the census is like 300 or 350, usually our current staff can kind of handle that load. It's a little bit more flexible pharmacy. I'd say like, even if we have like a set call, sometimes we just can pick it up if it's slow, like without covering it at all. So it's a little bit different, I'd say, but you know, despite that we still get scrutinized because you know, we're high base salaries, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you're right. So after you paid off all of your debt, did you invest the money? leave it in an account and not touch it. What were you doing with your money? Because you said you were saving about $7,000 a month, but then you paid off the debt and that 7,000 was still coming in. What were you doing with it? Oh yeah. You know, at that point I was just buying Lamborghinis and Audi <laughs> R8s, right? That was my, my dream, my dream car. So I can pose Wait, in front are of you it. Serious? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I believed you for a second. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, ironically, I still drive the same car. Okay. Um, wow. As from, from my graduate pharmacy school, same car, 10 yeah. years postgraduate, but yeah. no. So the natural progression was, you know, I wanted to uh, buy my own house to live in. So I didn't have to live with my you know parents anymore. So what I started doing was in the Bay area, the average cost of a home back in like 2017 was around a million dollars. So my goal was to save up a hundred thousand dollars for 10% down and basically house hack the property. 
So house hacking is I live in the master bedroom and it was just me, right? No, no kids, no family, all that. And I had a four bedroom house. So I would live in the master and then rent out the other three bedrooms. So that's what I did, right? I just saved up for about, you know, 80 to $100,000. And then I started looking for a house. You know, I found an area. It was kind of like East Bay area, Dublin, Livermore area. Mm-hmm. And I found a house for about $800,000. And then I just made a bunch of offers on houses in the areas that I liked. And eventually I got one, bought it with 10% down. So I put around 80K down and lived in the master bedroom, advertised those three other bedrooms on like Facebook marketplace and Craigslist. And then, you know, people would call me and reach out to me and then I would screen them. And then I was renting them out for about a thousand dollars per room. I was basically getting about $3,000 a month that basically covered my mortgage payment. So I just had to cover the property tax, the insurance, you know, utilities, HOA. And that was probably around $1,500 month for me. So I just said, okay, I'm living in this house. I'm only paying 1500 bucks a month and I'm paying it to myself. And the cost of rent in that area is $3,000 for one bedroom. So not only is my cost in half, I'm building equity. I own this asset. So that's what I did. That's how I got started in real estate. I just bought a house to want to live in, house hacked it, and then I would rent out the rooms. So do you still own that home? Yeah. I own the house till this day. Um, I bought for 800,000. It's worth $1.3 million now. Oh man. So I went to buy 500K in about six years. Wow. How much do you owe on it now? Um, So I probably owe around 600,000 on it. Yeah. Um, My monthly all-in cost, I think it cost me around $4,000 to own that property and my rent's around $4,000. Yeah. So I'm kind of breaking even slightly negative. Yeah. Uh, That's typical in California. Like at best you're going to be breaking even or slightly negative. And if I have to do any repairs or expenses, then obviously I'm slightly negative that day. But because I still work my W2, you know, I can afford to take those hits. And to me, it's like totally worth it. Like I can totally just sell this asset right now and cash in on that half a million dollars of equity and then trade up to like bigger apartment complexes. Right. That's what I'll probably do in the future. So, you know, I'm typically buy and hold. I don't like to sell my assets because I do see that over time, real estate goes up. So, It's long-term game, and that's what's kind of hindering me to my path to fire. Is like I'm, I have a bunch of like negative cash flow single-family homes in California, yeah. but like I said, I can 1031 exchange these into like apartment complexes that will make cash flow. Yeah, right. So it's like I call them little piggy banks that <laughs> one day I'm just gonna smash it, yeah. cash it in, because if you buy single-family homes out of state, like you're not gonna appreciate by half a million dollars and. That's six true. years. Yeah. Most of those homes are cheaper than, you know, yeah. that price. So people bash on California a lot, but where else can you see that crazy appreciation? I see. Makes sense. So after you purchased that house, what did you do? This is where my, my scaling starts to begin. So I, I repeat the same process, right? I got another job near San Francisco and I just said, you know what? I want to move because I don't want to commute an hour and a half. Yeah. So I did the same thing. I, I looked for a house. It was actually a makeshift duplex, which is very common in San Francisco. And I, I got a house for $1.1 million. I downed 10% again. Uh, it was about $110,000 down payment. It was about maybe a two-year gap between my first house and my second house. So I saved up again, right? And same thing. I lived in the master bedroom. I rented out the two other bedrooms on the upper unit. The upper unit was three bedroom, one bath. And I had a lower unit that was a separate entrance, two bedroom, one bath. So I rented out that lower unit to four college students for 700 bucks each. So I was getting $2,800. And then I rented out the two bedrooms upstairs for about $1,200 each. So I was getting $2,400 up there. So I was getting around $5,400 a month in rent. And once again, that covered my mortgage, right? I just had to cover my property tax, the utilities and insurance and, you know, all that stuff. So, you know, once again, I just did the same thing. And the house I was used to live in, I just rented that whole house out to my current tenant who's still there. So, you know, I I just repeated the process. And to be honest, I repeated that process another time when I moved to LA, same thing, right? I bought 
bought a house, <laughs> lived in it, house hacked it, 10% down. So if you kind of see my trend, it's 10% down. Now for somebody who said you're introverted, how are you able to allow people to live in your house if you're so introverted? Don't you feel uncomfortable initially? Yeah, so for me, I, I actually picked people that were never home. <laughs> and that was strategic, right? So I would yeah. love, like, uh, I would say a nurse, for, let's say a nurse worked 312s, they're a travel nurse. They wanted to just stay there for like three days when they're working. And then when they weren't working, they would go home. Yeah. And they might work the graveyard shift. So you never see them, right? So yeah. I picked people who are working professionals. They're never home. They just stay in their room most of the time. And, you know, it gave me a lot of privacy. So I never really felt hindered because they're usually like kind of, you only see them when they're in the kitchen. They might heat up some food, you yeah. know, microwave. They don't really cook. Like they don't really sit in the common areas and eat. You know, they just heat up their food. They go to their room. So if I'm just sitting in like the family room, like they don't really hinder me. Um, you might just say, hey, here one in a while but if i really wanted to be alone i just go to my own room right <laughs> so you know it wasn't terrible like i never was that hindered by it to be honest but you know now obviously you know if you want if you have a girlfriend and family or something you want a little more privacy it's a little bit inconvenience but if you can take it and they're never there like why would you say no to 100 bucks extra a month right that can help cover a little bit of your payment and you can take that money you can go on a nice vacation you can save it for something else so it's just you know like a lot of these you know influencers on youtube they, they, they flash their nice cars or lambos yeah. i i can clearly afford that right now i could mm -hmm. literally sell one of my single family homes and buy a couple lambos yeah. Right. Like that's out of the, I can do that. But like for me, it's just like, it doesn't really bring me that much more happiness. If I were yeah. going to Lambo, like if anything, I'm more stressed. If I hit a curb, I'm like, geez, yeah. I hit the curb. You know, if I, if I get caught speeding or I get an accident, like they're going to want to sue me because they assume I'm rich. <laughs> right. Versus if you drive a beat up Camry and you get an accident that they don't think you have any money. So they just kind of yeah. like, oh yeah, it wasn't too bad. Just go on for your day. Yeah. So it, it's kind of, you know, that's how I kind of started. You know, I started house hacking in California and I did that for about, you know, three properties. So how do you find your tenants now? So same thing. So if I self-manage my properties in California, just Facebook Marketplace. That, that's that oh, been the greatest wow. method. Like, Facebook Marketplace does it all. <laughs> it does. Like I literally put a post. I get hundreds of messages wow. by people who are not serious for the most part. Yeah. But it's the new Craigslist. Everyone's on Facebook, right? Everyone's yeah. on Facebook. Yeah. Um, and it's a new Craigslist. So yeah. like literally that's how I, I tell my property managers right now, like, hey, advertise Facebook Marketplace because it's hot. Mm. It gets a lot of leads because I've been doing it. I've been self-managing my own property. So I know that it's effective. Okay. So you had the house in Dublin. You had one in San Francisco and one in LA, right? Yeah. Okay. What are you doing now? Do you still have three properties or do you have more than three properties? Yeah. So I currently have 90 units. Oh um, yeah. <laughs> so basically kind of continue out that story. So I started off house hacking in California. Right. And then I suddenly came across, you know what? I want more cash flow. You know, I'm down 10%. So obviously my loan's a little bit higher. You know, I'm slightly negative on cash flow. I cannot retire early if I have three single family homes that are cash flow negative. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, over time, you know, I could switch to Airbnb or midterm rentals and rent out to traveling nurses and probably make cash flow. I probably mm -hmm. might do that once my tenants leave. But I just said, you know what? I want some cash flow. I want to diversify my portfolio a little bit. So I started looking at a state and I stumbled across Huntsville, Alabama. Okay. People say, why Huntsville, Alabama? Because there's a lot of aerospace engineers there, a lot of rocket scientists there. They have PhDs, they're highly educated, they make good money, so you can get good tenants. And I just thought, I can buy a brand new single family home for $250,000, and I can rent that for $2,100 a month. Wow. And at that point, you're going to be cash flowing around 700 bucks positive a month, yeah. right? Yeah. At interest rates at around 3 to 4%. So I just said, that just blew my mind. I'm like, wow, okay, I put down 60K, which mm -hmm. I saved about a year, and I'm making 700 bucks a month. 
I could literally sell one of my single family homes in California, cash out that equity of half a million dollars, get four to five of these. And you know, I'd be making around like $4,000 a month in cash flow. That's true. Right. And mm -hmm. I'm just like, wow, this is amazing to me. I didn't know real estate was that cheap because mm -hmm. for 250, you're getting a fixer upper condo in San Francisco, not even, not even San Francisco, like yeah. LA, <laughs> yeah. um, in San Francisco for 250, you're getting like a shed that's like yeah. a fixer upper <laughs> under a bridge. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So it, it just kind of blew my mind and I just said, okay, well, this is what I want to do now. But then shortly after that, I learned about apartment complexes and that's when I really started to scale. I just said, okay, well, I had a really good property manager in Oklahoma. So I said, you know what? Let me take a look. Let's see what it looks like for a 20 unit apartment complex in Oklahoma, for example. And I was looking online and I just said, wait a second, I can buy a 20 unit apartment complex for $1 million. <laughs> Once again, that blew my mind. I'm like all my single family homes that I bought for like a million dollars. If I can own a 20 unit apartment complex that rents for like 700 bucks per unit. Oh my gosh, that's insane. Right? Yeah. And I'm just like, whoa, like I could make like $14,000 a month. That's gross, not net, but gross, like, yeah, yeah gross. Mm -hmm. But just like, okay, why would I buy a single family home in California where I can rent that out for maybe $5,000? For the same purchase price, I can get it for $14,000 gross. That's true. And yeah. there's less risk because if I have one tenant leave, mm -hmm. I still have 19 other tenants paying yeah. me. Versus my single family home, I'm either 100% occupied or 0% occupied, <laughs> right? So yeah. yeah, or they could be living there and not pay you. And then you're technically 0% occupied yeah. despite yeah. someone living there. Yeah. So I just thought, oh, this is crazy. I need to buy apartment complexes and that's what I started doing. Okay, you said you saved the money, but how did you get in touch with a real estate agent, a property manager in another state when you're living in California? Yeah, so you just really network with people. You know, there's a lot of online forums now. Like I use, you know, Bigger Pockets starting off, but you know, there's a lot of Facebook groups, you know, for Bigger Pockets, you know, any real estate investing groups. There's even one for Oklahoma City. So I just would put messages out there. Fortunately, I had another investor that was already investing in Oklahoma. So they gave me their property manager contact. And that's why I tell people use referrals because yeah. if they are currently managing assets for them right now, they have a track record and you can ask how good they are. So I got that referral and then once I had that referral, I just started looking for the deals. So that's what I did. I actually sent out mailers. So I sent out 300 mailers per month for six months. And that's how I got two apartment complexes off market that I currently own right now. And what a lot of people don't know, and this is going to get really into the weeds, I know, but when you buy a single family home, duplex, triplex, fourplex, the value of those is based on the sales comps. Yes. So if you sell it, mm -hmm. it's based on what your neighbor's house sells yes. for. They don't care if one single family home rents for $10,000 a month mm -hmm. and the other one rents for $1,000 a month. The bank doesn't care. It's mm -hmm. valued the same. You take that same example for apartment complexes. If you're getting $5,000 a month in rent and one's getting $10,000 a month in rent, the one that's getting $10,000 a month in rent is worth double the one that's worth yeah. $5,000 a month. So once I understood that, I was like, okay, if I can increase the rent, I increase the value of my apartment complex. Mm. And what do you do, right? So for example, my 26 unit that I bought, I bought it off market through a letter I mailed out. I had no real estate agent involved, right? Mm. Keep in mind, I'm still brand new, right? I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a pharmacist, I'm not a realtor. <laughs> Basically negotiated them directly, made an offer price. Um, Oklahoma, the real estate contracts, they're online, they're free. You just Google it, just standard generic template and basically submit those forms to title. And then even if you mess up, title will tell you like, oh, hey, you messed up right here. Can you fix that? Mm -hmm. And I bought a 26 unit for half a million dollars, which blew my mind. People think I'm lying when I say that. I'm like, no, I literally bought a 26 unit apartment complex for half a million dollars. 
That's less than the price of our house. <laughs> yeah, that's less. That's half the price in most of my houses yeah, that I yeah. bought, right? And it, it just kind of blew my mind. And when it got appraised, it appraised at seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars day one. So I made two hundred fifty k equity day one day buying one. this apartment complex. And guess what? The the landlord that owned it was only renting the units out for three fifty a month on average. What? Those were some lucky tenants. <laughs> yeah, like my my valet parking in my current apartment complex is two hundred bucks a month. That guy can get me a place in Oklahoma, right? Yeah. Um, but the market rent was seven hundred dollars a month. I see. So if I double my rents, guess what I double the value of the, the appraised value of your apartment exactly. complex. Exactly. So it appraised at seven fifty. It's gonna be worth one point five million dollars wow. once I'm done renovating these units and, and doubling. And you the bought rent. it for five hundred. And I bought it for five hundred, so I tripled the value. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I bought it for half a million dollars. I put in three hundred k to fix up these units. Mm-hmm. Right, 100k per unit or 10k per unit on average. Raise the rents to 750, and I hit that. I hit around 700, 750 in rents already. And you know, I'm doubling the value of my apartment complex or tripling. So you're tripling the value of your apartment complex. Plus, your cash flow is higher now because you raised yes, the rent. Okay, exactly. But how and, did you secure the loan? You had a down payment, obviously, right? But since you're working on your own, you said you didn't have a realtor for this one. You filled out the forms yourself. You sent it to the title company. How did you secure the loan? Did you go through a bank and and did you tell them that you were interested in buying an apartment complex and you just needed them to provide you with a mortgage for it? How did that work? Yeah. So once you have a signed contract, you can reach out to lenders, right? Oh. So you can typically say like, hey, I got a property under contract. Uh, the lenders are usually going to ask for the financials. So what's the profit and loss statement for the past 12 months? They're going to ask for something called a rent roll, which shows all your tenants and how much rent they're paying mm-hmm. and when their lease starts and when their lease ends. Mm-hmm. And then from there, they can analyze the deal. Right. But for me, because I know how to underwrite multifamily, I already know if it's a good deal or not. So basically, when I underwrite it, you know, you look at your down payment, right? So 25% down is typical in multifamily. You cannot do less than 25% down. And then I got a 30 year uh, amortized loan. It's fixed for 10 years. So with commercial real estate apartment complexes, it's only fixed for about five to 10 years versus single family home residential. It's fixed for 30 years. I see. So in 10 years, technically, my rate can change unless I refinance it sooner. So that's what I did, right? Once you have a good deal, you bring it to lenders. And if you have a good deal, people will throw money at you, right? Mm -hmm. Especially back then in 2021, right? Now it's a little bit harder. I'll be honest, um, going through one right now. But um, it's back then, you have a good deal. You got great cash flow. Like that thing was cash flowing 10K or grossing 10K a month out the gate. And my loan payment was only like 2,000 bucks. So I'm wow. like, that 10000 will for sure cover that. That would place ticket. your W-2 income right there. Yeah, I mean, there's expenses, right? So typically yeah, about true. 5K in expenses. Yeah. Um, so you have 5K net and you have a 2K mortgage, so you're cash flowing 3K a month. Yeah. Right? But like you said, that, that could be half almost a salary. Of exactly. A yeah. So like I just said, the bank looks at it, they're like, yeah, this is going to, we're going to do it. And then from there, you know, now I'm renovating it. So when you take over the property, you start renovating it. What happens? Tenants start to leave because mm. they know, oh, there's new landlords coming in. He's evil. He's going to raise the rents. He's renovating it. So what yes. they do is they stop paying, you evict them, and then you can then renovate their unit. So like, yes, it started day one with 10K a month. But once mm. you take over, you have five tenants leave. At that point, your cash flow drops down, right? Because mm. yeah. you just lost like, you know, maybe... Two three thousand dollars in rent, so maybe you're collecting seven thousand. Yeah. So so yes, it does sound great. Like I could have if I kept everyone, but that's just very common yeah. with uh, value add real estate, where you're going in, I renovate the units, and then I fix them up, and then raise it to the higher level rents. How do you find a contractor or a project manager to work on your apartment complexes? Because you're all the way over here in California. How do you manage all of this? You can't see what they're doing. 
Yeah, no, great question. I knew that was coming too. So basically, if you have a great property manager, who do they typically know? They're going to know a great contractor. Makes sense. They're going to know great lenders. They're going to know great title companies. They're going to know great insurance companies. If you have a great property manager, I call them your boots on the ground. Yeah. So once you have a great property manager, they will give you the other pieces of your team that you Mm -hmm. need to assemble. So my property manager is my general contractor as well. So he's a two in one. When I was buying the deal, I actually flew out to see the deal during the inspection period. So we inspect all 26 units. I would walk my property manager and say, hey, how much will we need to spend to fix up this unit? And how are we gonna fix this up? So at a high level, when you fix up apartments, you know, kitchen, right? Do I need to rip out these kitchen cabinets or can I just paint over them? Painting is cheaper than the other. And you'll be surprised what, you know, sanding, patching up and painting kitchen cabinets will do. Tenants don't know the difference, to be honest, versus brand new kitchen cabinets. Yeah. Um, if there's carpet, we can rip it out, put in LVP flooring, luxury vinyl plank flooring. It looks like hardwood. It's cheaper. It's indestructible. It won't chip. It's waterproof. It's good, right? Paint. You can paint the walls, make it a fresh white, light gray, something clean, something modern. Kitchen countertops, you know, quartz is popular in California. You don't need that in Oklahoma. You can do like laminate or you can do quartz as well, actually, too. And then for the bathroom, like you can get a brand new bathtub kit from Home Depot for like 500 bucks. And that'll make it look brand new, right? <laughs> That's cheap. So basically, I bring in my property manager and I tell them, hey, what do I need to do to get the maximum rent while making this as cheap as possible, very resilient and indestructible, as well as very practical? So I'm not skimping. I'm not a slumlord, right? But how can I be the most cost effective while making it look very nice very modern and getting the most rents? So it's kind of why I described it to you already, right? Yeah. So it's about, it averages around, you know, maybe five to 15K. If it needs a brand new kitchen, probably about 15K per unit. If it doesn't need a brand new kitchen and everything's pretty decent shape, about 5K per unit of cosmetics. And if it's kind of mid-tier, it's about 10K. So I renovate about half to this point. You know, that's why I know that like we're getting these certain rents because it's how much it's costing me because I've renovated half my units. Yeah. Right? So I, I just said, hey, we have 20 that are or a few, like 10 that are brand new brand new everything. We call those the premium units, right? But then we also have the units where we didn't do brand new kitchen, so it's more affordable. So we can appeal to a wider demographic of, yeah. of people. Like, hey, you can't afford 750. We have an option here that's maybe 500, 550. So, you know, you have multiple price ranges. How did you go about attaining 90 properties? Because that one's a 26 unit apartment complex. Where are the other 64? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that's that. So I bought my 26 unit back in, I think, July of 2021. So almost about two years ago. Yeah. In November of 2021, that's when I bought my mobile home park. Oh, and this was a huge mobile home park in Alabama, actually in the process of, of currently selling it right now. My, mm-hmm. my goal for that one was actually fix and flip. So basically it's a 200 lot mobile home park. About 30 of those lots were occupied when I bought it. So you had 170 vacant sites. So my goal was to basically come in there, you know, fix up some of those homes that were vacant and unlivable. Yeah. Bring in some brand new mobile homes to place into the park and then rent the, all those out. And I want to basically prove a model so that I can flip it to a larger real estate syndicator who specializes in mobile home parks. I see. So this one was more of a fix and flip deal, but basically it just blew my mind. Like I bought that mobile home park for about a million dollars. I just had to put 10% down. Yeah. The owner seller financed me the deal. And once again, I was just like, wait a second, I own 55 acres of land in Alabama. Yeah for a million dollars, which is the same price as my single family home in California. So once again, it just kind of like, well, I didn't know this even existed, right? I've only been in California, that's all I knew. So, you know, that's how I got there. And that one has roughly around like about 45-ish units there. Yeah. Um, and then 
scaling forward again mm -hmm. in May of 2022, about a year ago, I bought a 20 unit apartment complex in Oklahoma and I got that for 350K. And then once again, <laughs> like, yeah. In the world. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that's it. I need to focus outside of California. Like, this is crazy. $350,000. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, like, same thing, right? Like, I'm fixing this one up. This 350, it's a 20 unit. I probably put 120K into it. Yeah. Um, I had to get a hard money loan on it because it's more of a fixer upper. Yeah. And what's crazy is my hard money loan was 9% interest. Guess what it is today? Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, it's, a, it's actually same. higher because the interest rates have gone up. So it's probably like 15%. Yes, you hit the nail on the head, right? <laughs> so literally, my regular loan on that property is like eight uh -huh. percent, and that's a normal loan. Yeah, right. Yeah. But what's crazy was I bought for three fifty. I put in one hundred twenty of renovation. I'm all in for four seventy. It appraised at seven hundred thousand dollars. My new loan is around four ninety. So what does that mean? I get back my down wow. payment. I get back my renovation cost, and now I own this twenty unit apartment complex without any money in my deal. Yeah. So what can I do with that money? I can we go buy another, another property. I can go buy another property. So that's, that's how you scale. That's what mm -hmm. people don't realize, right? Imagine my 26 unit, same example. It's worth $1.5 million. When interest rates drop down, I can pull out 75% loan to value on $1.5 million. I, I can't even do that math. Let's just say it's a $1.2 million loan. I'm all in for $800,000 on that loan, on that yeah. property. I'll pull out $400,000 tax-free. Plus That's my down payment, plus my renovation costs. And now I have a lot of money that I can go buy another apartment complex and repeat the process. So keep in mind, I'm doing all this without partners. I'm just doing yeah. it myself. I don't raise money. Maybe after this episode, I might raise, be able to raise money. But yeah, I, I, I don't raise money. I don't partner right now. And I scaled to like 90 units. So, you know, a lot of people say that, oh, I own 90 units, but they have partners. That's you true. own a small fraction of 90 That's units. True. I yeah. just own 90 units myself, 100%. Man. So it's. <laughs> It's, it's a gradual grind, right? So from 2017 until now, six years, I accumulated you know 90 units. So at the moment, what is your gross revenue versus your net profit on all of these properties? Oh, oh man, I calculated recently. I'm grossing about 600K a year. Wow, <laughs> 600K, yeah. yeah. Yeah, about 600K a year. But right now, because I'm pumping it all back into renovations, there's not much net or I'm negative, right? So that's what people don't understand. Like, if I own 90 units stabilized, you're going to average between 100 to $200 per unit. So you can do the math, right? So 90 yeah. times 200, I'm in a higher cash flow market. It's about almost 20K. Yeah. Which is my that fire number, right? And this is assuming that you renovate the units and you did a cash out refinance and pulled out a bunch of money, have a bigger loan, that's stabilized. So give me another like three to five years, I'll probably get there. Because in the past year, I probably renovated around 40 units between my part two apartments and my mobile park while working full time as a pharmacy director. But yeah, maybe once I sell my mobile park and that 20 unit is stabilized, which is near, like I just got the loan approved for the cash out refinance. Nice. Um, and once I pull it out at that point, every year, you just gradually raise the rents, right? You raise the rents by, let's say 50 bucks per unit times, you know, 20 units. That's how you slowly get there. That's about a thousand bucks, right? Yeah. Like, and that's every year. Yes. So every year cash flow increased by a thousand dollars and that's how you stack and compound real estate. So yeah. that's how you do it. What would you say to people who are more focused on investing in their 401k versus putting a higher focus on investing outside of like the traditional 401k, like you investing in real estate and property rentals and all those kinds of things, or maybe having a side hustle? Yeah, that's a great question. Like, you know, obviously most of my net worth is built into real estate, but I actually invest into, I do all the above. It's not just real estate. So I do maximize my 401k every year. Mm -hmm. 
I've maxed out my 401k every year since I've had a job and since I had access to a 401k. So 20k on average for 10 years, so that's at least 200k. And you know, I started investing back in 2013, and the stock market doubled. Yeah. So you know, it's about 400k. Nice. Right. So I do 401k. Right. I max that out. I do max out the IRA at 6K a year. I max that out every year. On top of that, I do invest in like Vanguard and dollar cost average index funds. Mm -hmm. You know, for those who watch Graham Stephan, that's what he's a big advocate for. I do yeah. that. I also invest in whole life insurance. I max fund life insurance and you get the max fund those for about seven years. I do that as well. So I'm not just real estate. I, I do all the above. Right. I'd probably say about 80% of my net worth is in real estate and about 20% is in like stocks and like life insurance and kind of more liquid stuff. So, you know, it's a good mix, right? It's never this or this like some people are all about stocks some people yeah. are all about real estate some people are all about life insurance for me i'm like in reality the truly wealthy people will have a little bit of all of the above but obviously with real estate that's how i built the most of my wealth like you know i made half a million dollars of equity just off one property that i own yeah. like where else could you make that much money that fast true so what's your current net worth uh my current net worth at price it's about five million wow um and about one million is probably within stocks so you know that's like yeah. and that's in stocks in a brokerage account that's in like, you know, between the 401ks, my brokerage accounts, the IRAs and life insurance. What is your ultimate goal in life then when it comes to your finances? You know, like I kind of had this realization recently, um, but you know, honestly, in the moment, my goal was 20K a month passive income net to retire. And why that was because that's two farmers in salary. Mm. So, you know, eventually I want to replace that income. But, you know, as I kind of thought about it a little bit more, so in the past year, I haven't bought any real estate, you know, obviously because I'm trying to stabilize these real estate these assets I currently have right now and I maxed out my capacity right I can literally physically not do any more than I can right now between you know trying to build social media trying to you know work my w2 and then manage these 90 units of, of real estate right yeah. that's two full-time jobs right there. And my goal was like, I just want this like fat fire, super glamorous. But then I realized that I don't live that lavishly of a lifestyle, right? Like I said, I could easily afford a Lambo and uh, Audi R8's my dream car. I could <laughs> literally buy that right now. If I wanted to, right? I could take all my money on my 20 unit comments and buy it cash right now if I wanted to. But it just doesn't really add value to me. So for me, it's really more about that time freedom and be able to travel freely. Like I just came back from the Philippines. Um, nice. You know, I was there for like, I think 10 days. It's, you know, really cheap. You can yeah. live very luxuriously for like 100 bucks a night at a five star <laughs> hotel right on the beach. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I just thought like, I don't really need as much money as I thought, right? Because yeah. I keep my expense very low. So that's kind of my goal. Like, am I willing to give up nice, fancy things and nice, fancy hotels to be able to retire earlier and still have the same experience, same enjoyment mm -hmm. for that? Like, instead of getting that $500 hotel, I can get the $100 hotel and still have the same joy and experience, you know, being in Greece or France, for example. I kind of realized the point where I'm like, man, like, I could have hit fat fire if I just didn't scale as fast in real estate, right? Because I bought so much units about 80 units in eight months and that's really fast and now i'm buying the bullet i'm like oh man i'm like so stressed now because like i'm writing these large checks every month like 50 dollars checks every month which is more money than all of us are used to dealing with so that really stressed me out and i was just like you know what that's what kind of led me to say that you know i need to sell my mobile home park just lock in the profit that i got it's not a home run deal but hey it's giving me back my money i make a little bit of profit on it i learned that's key right at this point i just want to double down my apartment complexes i've great property management, very passive. I already know what to do, it's copy and paste and just do it at a more gradual, slow pace and then kind of slow down a little bit myself, right? So yeah. once I sell my mobile home park, once I cash out refinance my 20 unit, I'm gonna set aside a lot of that money so that I have a large reserve and it can 
set aside some money because I'm max funding life insurance, right? So when you max fund life insurance, you're pumping in $3,000 a month into each policy, mm. right? So I yeah. want to have all that money set aside already saved so that I don't have to worry about it. I see. Right? You put it away, set it, forget about it, right? Like let's say I set aside $100,000. Yeah. That's to max fund my life insurance policies. Mm. Don't touch it. Don't use it to buy real estate. Yeah. And then on top of that, I save another $100,000, for example, to be like, hey, this is my emergency fund in case something happens in real estate. And something always does happen in real estate, right? Yeah. New roof, 30K, right? Yeah. This thing gets damaged, another 30K. So you want to have reserves. Then on top of that, you know, I would probably save some money because I would eventually want to buy another house for me to live in and not pay rent anymore. So how much do you pay currently for your rent? Uh, so my rent's about 2200 um, but I'm right beachside. I'm like like two blocks away from the beach. Wow, that's so, actually uh, pretty decent to be so close to the beach too. <laughs> yeah, so it's been great, right? Like if I'm stressed out, I just go walk along the beach. Yeah, and you know, like decompress a little bit, and yeah. it's been nice. And you know, obviously, I can't live here without kids and a family. You know, eventually, yeah. I have to move back to a suburb if. I want to do that. But right now I just thought it's a great opportunity and do that. That's why I'm trying to travel as much as I can. Like despite me spending all this money in real estate, I do spend <laughs> most of my money goes to traveling. That's us um, right there too. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's, and you have a kid that you mentioned, but right now I have no obligations and yeah. I just said, you know what? I built up too many obligations by owning all this real estate. Like, you know, I have enough, right? Like you said, I have enough real estate to hit my fat fire goal, but just give it time and be patient. And that's what's hard about social media this day. Mm -hmm. They always sell you, Oh, if you buy my course, uh, you can make 10K a month in passive income in like three months. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, the only person making money is a guy selling the course, right? Exactly. Like, exactly. Like, you know, I fell into that stuff. I bought like an Amazon store yeah. uh, through a popular YouTuber. Yeah. And like, he's like, oh yeah, you can make like, t you know, 5K a month in passive income doing this. I'm like, great. <laughs> that's half a pharmacist salary. That's true. Great. Yeah. No, I lost money and I ended up closing the store. <laughs> right so i'm just yeah. like and it'll just cause me more stress than i need i'm like this is not even worth my time i bit the bullet and i paid like 30k for that store yeah and like it's a big youtuber actually that, that's selling it so for my viewers out there that might be interested in pharmacy or getting into real estate from their field how can they reach out to you yeah i mean i can give you a link i have a link tree that links to all my my um socials but basically on youtube you just can search uh at making multifamily money Okay. You can search that on Instagram, TikTok, um, but I believe for the link tree, it has all my socials. You can get a hold okay. of me. If people place comments, I typically respond to them. And then also my email, it's just sdatnguyen at gmo.com. Once again, I'm pretty responsive to my email. Like I like interacting with people because it, it gives yeah. me an opportunity to be like, hey, they asked me a question. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make a video response to this <laughs> so I can post it on my yeah. YouTube and create value for everybody. That's so true. I actually love engaging with people that yeah. want to reach out and want to learn. All right, guys, that's it for this video. If you enjoyed this video, then make sure you hit the like button, subscribe to this channel. And if you want to be a guest in one of our future episodes, click on the link in the description below. And if you enjoyed this video, then make sure you watch all of our previous Road to Fire videos too.